From 11FS, this is Fintech Insider News. Today, Ramp confirms new $8.1 billion valuation. Claybank raises $230 million to expand into Europe and the US. And decommissioned Bristol Pound becomes a art project. All this and much, much more on today's show. Welcome to episode 614 of Fintech Insider. My name is Evie Breer and I am joined on Fintech Insider News by my 11FS colleague, Deepa Anakindi, the lead product manager at 11FS. How's it going, Deepa? Very well, thank you. Loving this delightful weather we're having. I know. I've spent most of my time sat in meetings, but in the garden today. Like, it's very rare for for the UK to have this type of weather, isn't it? But uh, we'll all be complaining we're too hot very shortly, won't we? It's all bizarre. Indeed. All right. As always, we are joined by some super duper awesome guests. First up, making a welcome return to the show, we have Charles McManus, who is the CEO of ClearBank. Welcome to the show, Charles. Um, I mean, obviously, it's been a bit of a big week for you. We'll come to it, obviously, when we get there. But uh, tell our listeners a little bit more about what ClearBank do, and uh, we'll get to the news in a little while. Yeah. Hi, David. Thanks very much for having me back. And as you said, delighted, uh, even though we're inside uh, beautiful spring in the UK. Uh, it's been a fantastic week, as you said. So ClearBank, well, the uh, the strap line in terms of first new clearing bank in 250 years. I mean, it's, uh, we set up nearly six years ago and we've had a success, really successful run in the last few years, uh, both on the clearing side, where essentially we've got our... Uh, our platform connected to all the payment schemes in the UK. It's all cloud native API. Uh, and we've got over 200 now financial institutions on our platform. And we've been going from uh, strength to strength essentially over the last few years. And indeed, you, your uh, listeners and readers may well have seen that we've been voted number one of the fastest growing tech company in the UK. So we're extremely proud about that as well. And as we'll come to it later on in relation to the news, of course, having built the uh, the UK business and getting that in shape and on its way to profitability, we now, of course, want to conquer the world and uh, start going global. And we can talk about that later on. But uh, tremendous for us to be able to announce uh, the funding, the tie-up with APAX Digital, uh, and essentially bringing more. Uh, we may talk about it later on in terms of embedding banking products to the to the marketplace, not just in the UK, but in Europe, the US, and uh, Asia Pac as well. Very, very cool. Well, we'll get into that a little bit uh, in a second in terms of the the new side of things. But uh, lovely to have you back. We also have making his fintech insider debut, Eric Gleiman, who is the co-founder and CEO over at Ramp. Welcome to the show, Eric. How's it going? It's going well, and. In- Honestly, thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. No worries. I mean, obviously a, a pretty big week for you, as I sort of said at the top of the show, but uh, we'll get to the news in a little while. But for anybody who doesn't know, do you want to explain a little bit more about Ramp, uh, what you guys do? Absolutely. Yeah. So so Ramp is a finance automation platform. Uh, we offer the fastest growing corporate card in America. Uh, it comes with built-in expense management, bill payments, and accounting automation. And really what makes it unique is it is fundamentally designed with the intent of helping um, our end customers, businesses, cardholders, and the like, spend less. Uh, it's a really counterintuitive strategy. Um, most of the credit card industry in the United States is focused on uh, designing points programs, ways to get companies to spend more money, maybe than they intended. Uh, don't think a whole lot about time. Uh, and Ramp is, is, is unique in this regard. We help the average uh, customer cut their expenses by 3.3% per year. So much more than what's even possible through interchange. Um, helps speed up month-end close by um, 
And by a factor of eight, so we take a, a month in close that usually takes eight days, take it down to a day, um, and are ultimately focused on helping businesses spend less time and spend less money. Very, very cool. I mean, let's just jump straight into the news because that leads us very much into kind of what the first story is, which is Ramp confirms new $8.1 billion valuation. Uh, we picked this up on TechCrunch covered in a bunch of different places. Just to kind of uh, on that little bit of background, so corporate management startup ramp secured 550 million. Feels weird talking about you, Eric, while you're here, I'll be honest here, but I'm going to go through this anyway. Uh, in uh, 550 million in debt and 200 million in equity in a new financing that doubles its valuation to $8.1 billion. Absolutely meteoric rise gives the less than one year ago ramp had just reached unicorn status with a, a $150 million round before raising a further $300 million at a 3.9 billion valuation last August. Um, I'm going to come to what you're doing with all this money and where is it going in, in a second, Eric, in terms of just getting that amount of money away is quite impressive in itself. Um, but while the company started out focused on small to medium-sized businesses, SMBs, SMEs, uh, it now works with businesses of all sizes, from startups to multi-billion dollar enterprises to potato farmers, apparently. Interesting fact. Um, the startup has also expanded beyond a corporate card offering into other services with the goal of helping companies generate generally automate their finances a little bit better. Over the past year, the New York-based company has quadrupled its workforce, okay, now I know where the money's going, uh, to 275 people and is in the process of opening up a new office in Miami. You're going to get lots of asks for going down to Miami, I imagine, on that one. But Eric, congratulations. This is, uh, I mean, almost the global pointing at from a success story perspective. A lot of people are kind of putting you out there as a as a case study for success in that sense, in terms of the, the growth, both in terms of your customers, but also from an organizational perspective as well. So, I mean, massive congratulations in that. I saw a term I've never seen in that space as well. We, we spotted the term octocorn used in relation to your valuation, but uh, <laughs> I mean, how, how much uh, how much importance does that, that valuation and those things sort of breed and I'm not sure quite what I, I like is an octocorn is it an octopus with a with a, a horn or is it a, a eight horned unicorn I, I really can't tell at this stage anyway Eric congratulations how does it feel thank you yeah I, I, it's got to be a challenge looking animal <laughs> I'm not quite sure how to draw that um, but it, look it, it feels good uh, and, and we feel really fortunate I, uh, apart from just a, a lot of excitement from from customers from employees people outside of it had a lot of call from friends, families, distant relatives, and the like, and um, just on, on, on the human level, it, it feels incredible. So the question you had asked up front of, you know, how, how much importance does the company put in, into this valuation? And not a whole lot. Um, I, I think that it's it, it, it's nice. It, it's certainly charming, but at the end of the day, for for our customers, you know, they don't know um, how much is in a in a bank account, um, how much volume. All they know is. Uh, is the company at the other end actually helping them? Is the experience great? Is it improving? Is this a partner that is helping their business succeed or or not? And so, uh, well, it certainly enables us and empowers us to, to to hire incredible high quality people. You know, to have the funds to to invest in you know, incredible research and development um, uh, to be pushing you know technology and innovation in our industry. And you know, we love that. You know, really, what matters is is our commitment to customers. Is the experience improving? Are we saving them money and time? And you know, that that's where we focus in day in and day out. Well, it's it's interesting, isn't it? Often with startups, you know, you have that beachhead, and your beachhead was obviously you know SMBs in that space in terms of you know quite a. Um, 
you look for a simple problem you can solve amazingly well that earns you the right to solve greater problems for other people, right? And, and But you've done that in such an accelerated manner. You know, you've smashed that problem and then the capital is allowing you to solve more and more complex problems for your, for your organizations, which is why you're, you know, you're working with big corporates now, not just small SMBs, right? That's right. You know, I, I think in, in many ways, in the beginning, it's, it's what can you do with a very limited set of resources, you know, that adds a, you know, the, a little bit of, of, of value, some, some notion of utility where, you know, just having a couple people really love you, really be able to solve a problem goes a long way. But the, uh, I think what's helped us move at this speed is the, the central orientation of the company. You know, the, the, the way that we've organized um, the efforts, what we ask folks, whether it's on engineering, product design, data science, sales, whatever it is, was never about, you know, we really need to support this new form of payment, we really need to launch this product. It ties back to this notion of uh, where are companies wasting time? Where are companies wasting money? How can we help them waste less? How can we help them build a better business at the other end? Which is a very large body of, 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 of questions and ones that you know, I, I would think for, for many years, many, many decades, uh, there's, there, there's much more work, there's much more to do there than we could ever really take on. And so I think what helps underlie, um, you know, both the velocity, but also to this expansion of scope from, you know, SMBs to mid-market was simply asking this, this question consistently, where's time being wasted in your, in, in your business? Where's money being wasted? And it, and it took us from what, what started um, when we launched actually just about two years ago with this corporate card designed to help your, your business spend less. It was a credit card simple under underwriting um, you can get a card mailed to you five days later or a virtual card this is this very simple kind of value prop when and we'd ask you for a receipt we would show you maybe where there are some better prices available to now a, a very fulsome set of offerings from you know cards bill payments travel you know accounting automations uh, much more coming down the you know the the, the pipe but you know, I, I think really the the source of expansion was genuine conversations with customers um Every sales call we, we record through Gong. We, we, we if we win, we try to figure out why did a customer pick us. If we lose, um, and, and someone goes the other way, what was that about? You know, what what, what, what gaps are, are there? And we try to identify, you know, based on the you know the the, 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 the pain, how much spend it might unlock, and and just organize our efforts. You know, as, as uh, you know, product thinkers and engineers and the like of let's go solve that problem and expand and and really simplify the, the workflows associated with with moving money yeah i mean it's amazing how many times i mean we we've had people on the show where the 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 last three sentences you've just said just sound so straightforward they sound so obvious it's like talk to customers like learn if you win learn if you lose learn but just listen to customers and do that thing. It's uh, It sounds so obvious. I mean, we've had um, Patrick Collinson on the show before and he said exactly the same thing in terms of the early days of Stripe. What was the what was the genesis for the success? And it was momentum behind creating something people care about. Uh, and that's amazing. It really is. I, I mean, I, I sort of touched on this as, as part of the intro. What, what do you plan to do with the money? You know, because I guess expanding out uh, and, and uh, you know, uh, attacking these different types, these different sizes of organizations organizations i mean you're you are picking off bigger and harder problems aren't you for sure i mean in, in terms of use of the funds there, there was two components of the raise first was, was a 200 million dollar equity component um which is is primarily focused on uh really continuing the pace of, of, of innovation when when we 
you know, set out and started Ramp. One of our, our key commitments was uh, we want to build fast. We we want to um, be pushing the pace in product development. It's been an, an area which, you know, I, I think whether it's uh, open infrastructure players like Marquetta Stripe and uh, clearly ClearBank in, in the um, across the pond, you know, have, have really made it possible to develop quickly. And um, at least in, in the states, the, the credit card, many financial products haven't really evolved very much over the past thirty years. And so first and foremost, we, we, we wanted to have this fast pace, but as a company that's three years old, it's, it's a stark reminder every day of, uh, this is just a collection of people. Um, if you bring in incredible people together and empower them against a great problem and, you know, let them do their thing, good things will happen. And so most of, of the resources are really are around hiring. Um, two years ago, there were about uh, 20 people at the company. Today, there's 275. Uh, we anticipate um, approximately doubling over the next year. Um, and so heavy amount there. Some new product innovation, having equity capital allows us to you know, experiment and go deeper into other forms of, of financing um, and, and supporting our, our companies. Um, but, but really, it's around that. It's around continuing that pace. The second component um, of the $750 million raise was you know, a $550 million portion of, of debt financing. That's really about supporting more businesses. So today, there's you know, over 5,000 businesses, all, all shapes and sizes using RAMP. Um, when they swipe a ramp card, um, uh, the vendor is paid. They pay ramp back at the end of the month. And so uh, the more we grow, uh, the more demand on, on capital there, there is. And so, so this financing allows us to scale into the tens of thousands of businesses and, and beyond. Fantastic. Well, again, congratulations. I mean, deeper, like the, the work you do at 11FS, often we talk about jobs to be done. I mean, solving and, and narrowing down a you know simplistic level of jobs that you can fix for people, but doing it in a brilliant way. I mean, that's uh, that's the game, right? Absolutely. So firstly, huge congratulations, really exciting news. And secondly, it's it's really great to hear the level of customer centricity that kind of has, has always maintained and it, you know, it, it's apparent when you're talking. Um, I think it's really clear here that when you hit the nail on the head with those key jobs, as you were saying, David, customers respond really quickly. And that's super apparent here. And I think it's all around that kind of top experience layer. You know, as you were saying, Eric, help me run my business, help me take care of my admin, help me to grow my business. And that area, it feels really obvious, but it's so underserved by the market. And I think you have an opportunity and it, it you know, it sounds like that that space is going to be owned pretty, you know, pretty fast. And it, it's it's just a great opportunity to see um, somebody do it right. Um, we've seen from our research that there's lots of kind of disaggregation across the market and there's lots of kind of um, micro players trying to own a little segment of the value chain, but that doesn't ultimately help the customer at the end. So, um, so yeah, so massive congratulations and really exciting to see where uh, where you guys go next. It's interesting as well, isn't it? I mean, uh, again, just, just to you know, a, a point at the, uh, you know, the American market. I, I had a, a conversation with the Financial Times a couple of weeks ago about, well, why a, why a Monzo, why a different, you know, uh, the N26 looking again at the US market? What is the, the big attraction? Lots and lots of people. Do you know what I mean? And if you do something great, it scales really, 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 really effectively. Um, so, you know, being able to sort of capitalize on such a massive market with something that is in such a sweet spot for solving real problems, uh, it catches like wildfire, which is great. I mean, Charles, what, what do you think in this one? This is um, an amazing success story. It's absolutely. And, and uh, add my congratulations uh, and just uh, use your words, sort of, Eric. Uh, I've worked in the US quite a lot of awesome. It's absolutely awesome. Awesome. 
Uh, and we think we've been pretty fast in the UK, uh, but we've already double, done double your time already in terms of six years and where you've got two and three years. So uh, uh, many congratulations. And we all know how hard it is uh, to get all those, those resource, that talent and a customer and just iterate and be agile and get to solutions and stop all the friction, uh, any cultural issues, uh, logistical issues, and actually just empowering them and let them solve solve problems. So uh, I'm, I'm uh, in awe of what you've achieved with a lot of similarities though in relation to, to what you're trying to do. Uh, and and when we come to it and listening to it, although it's different scale, but empowering, for example, our embedded banking uh, customers like Tide, for example, that have got to 7% now of the SME market in the UK, and we're providing all of their bank accounts and banking services. Well, what is their mantra? It's to actually, for primarily for actually the small uh, rather than the medium enterprises, is actually save them time and money, right? They just want to invest in growing their own business and not have all the hassle in relation to banking and payments and accounting and payroll and all the frictions um, taking that away and making it efficient so they can either spend more time with their family that they never get time to, or they can reinvest that time in growing their business rather than spending two hours at night doing admin uh, and, and all the VAT returns, et cetera, et cetera. So absolutely tremendous. Um, and as, as you also said, David, you know, so many of these successes and we try and do is constantly get back to something simple. Right, uh, the, the the solutions may get, uh, or the problems are more complex as you get into the larger financial institutions, just as you've said. But the simplicity of it, allowing you to scale at, at, at speed, awesome. I think one thing's for sure on this one, Eric. I'm afraid we don't have any more time to talk about it, so we're probably going to have to pick this conversation up at another point. I'm just suggesting in your Miami office, I reckon, like you know, just uh, just as like a, I'll I'll uh, I'll be there too, Eric. Let's somewhere between go. the two of us, you know, like, no, but no pressure. But uh, anyway, we're we're gonna have to move on. But again, uh, massive uh, massive congratulations. Uh, next story that we had that was covered in a bunch of different areas uh, as well. Uh, Claybank raises 175 million for global expansion. So UK-based embedded finance startup Clearbank has raised 175 million uh, from private equity firm. APAX Partners. It says it will be used for global expansion, but we can get a lot more detail of that from, from Charles in a second. Uh, as clear as uh, Charles said a second ago, ClearBank describes itself as the first clearing bank to have launched in the UK in 250 years. Uh, the big four that have ruled the clearing roost in the country is now being uh, challenged a little bit. Obviously, Barclays, Lloyds, HSBC and NatWest in the past. Uh, its aim is to use the rails it has built up to run payment services in the UK. Um, much faster than those incumbents, and, and probably quite significantly more reliable as well. Um, the company plans to use the funds to expand clearing and embedded banking services into Europe before moving into North America, Asia, and world domination. Uh, Charles, tell us a little bit more about this one. I mean, like, like you said, I, I love the origin story from a clear bank perspective. It's like nobody did this for 250 years, so why not give it a go? You know, and actually, it never, it never really sounded like there was a good reason that somebody didn't do it it was just it was really really difficult and you guys seem to have cracked that and actually built up such an amazing amount of momentum now that if you can then take that to a global audience has huge potential and that's it david right so you've summarized it very well in relation that we've been very specific in what we're doing 
And in fact, I'd just come back from the Irish crisis, uh, having written off 10 billion of, of assets and loans in, uh, in Ireland at Ulster Bank as part of the RBS uh, overall crisis. And I'd semi-retired, in fact, when I first met Nick Ogden, who uh, founded WorldPay and, and uh, Cashflows, and had the idea of fintech was taking off in the UK, all this fantastic technology and innovation and uh, front-end proposition, and then go and connect that to old legacy tech at the back end and the last mile in terms of payment finality and actually settling through faster payments and chaps and backs and standing orders, all the back end uh, in relation to it, and slow that down in relation to the big four in relation to their technology. Well, what about if you had a clean piece of paper, ISO 20022 API, you had you were all cloud native, you connected that to the payment schemes, and then you connected that back end to the actual front end of all that fintech revolution. Just think how dangerous you could be in relation to an end-to-end -end process. And coming back to, to Eric as well, in relation to transforming the either SMEs or consumer banking experience. And I've been in investment banking and banking all my life, regulated all around the world, but the service that banks have provided consumers and the rest have we got away with providing such a poor service for so long? You know, you do a Google search, put it in, back it comes. You make a, a, a UK payment, it might be two hours in fast payments, it may be instantaneous, you get to cross-border, which everyone talks about, suddenly it's three days. How can we be in this age where that is still the case? And so that's, that's what we're trying to conquer at, at the back end. Uh, we started in the agency clearing uh, competing directly essentially for just payment flows in relation to the clearing business, but then being innovative and trying to change the product. And obviously every fintech or every business ultimately, uh, as they expand and become more successful, what about offering banking services to their customers? And the embedded banking aspect is just using our banking license to provide bank accounts to the likes of Tide and Chip, moving from SMEs to consumers, uh, asset managers, we're looking at merchant acquirers. If they were all connected in relation to, to uh, our platform, uh, supply chains, real-time payments, and actually get rid of all the friction and cost, and, and uh, it's done. And you don't have to worry about it in terms of sort of those front ends, worrying about, you know, where's the money, where's the payments, all the customers' queries, all the friction, reconciliation and cost, trying to take that away. And then, of course, we come to um, the future of, well, the payment schemes are still so slow to update uh, around the world. Uh, a number of uh, countries are only just putting in their faster payment two-hour type uh, payment schemes. There's 26 going on in the world today, uh, and there's a load more. Um, well, if we could take the ClearBank platform sort of global, we can bypass the payment schemes and start doing on us what we call InstaClear transactions, where you can transact a US dollar to euro across our platform with having, without having to go through SWIFT or ACH or any other uh, uh, payment schemes. Uh, and suddenly you will then uh, will charge less, uh, cost them less, and unlock all of that economic capital they can invest back in their business rather than going through the inefficient processes of, of banking worldwide. So that's the sort of mission that we're very much on. Um, having proved the proposition now in the UK, as I mentioned earlier, the next target is Europe. Uh, we've selected the Netherlands, uh, so it's going to be Amsterdam, here we come. And a whole raft of reasons uh, in relation to where in Europe should we cite that. And very much coming back to our customers of innovation, regulation, 
and getting that banking license, but suiting our business model. That's why we've changed the, the Netherlands. A lot of the payment companies are now in Luxembourg or indeed uh, in relation to the Netherlands. So we're, we're on that journey in relation to setting up. And at the same time, we've got a task force that's looking at the US in relation to uh, that being the next step. And coming back to your earlier question of, of UK fintechs or businesses, uh, you know, the US uh, can be very successful. It can be a, a graveyard for many multinationals uh, and corporates in terms of, of uh, making money and retrenching back. If you look at the US dollar, euro, sterling block, even though obviously China and India are growing so fast, it's still a massive triangle. And the race is on essentially to get the US dollar, euro, sterling block actually uh, on one platform embedded in the way that I'm talking about it, um, because it's 80% essentially of, of the flow. Um, but we're also looking at opportunities, smaller opportunities, of say in Australia or indeed of Canada, where again, the characteristics of the UK market for large incumbents, uh, old legacy and actually fintech growing. Perfect environment to deploy the uh, ClearBank platform to actually make a difference. Yeah. And I, I'd probably add to that as well, the, the sort of friendliness of the regulation that's moving across all of those geos that you're you're looking at as well, because actually there's a, a very similar feel to what happened here when the early days of, of ClearBank or the early days post-crisis that actually, you know, we're sort of seeing history repeating itself to a certain degree, aren't we? We are, David, that's right. And it's still, it's still so surprising of how, Although we're moving very fast and Eric's speed, and we think we've done a lot, how backward the world still is in relation to some of this infrastructure. Yeah. And and what what do you think with that then? And and deeper, Eric, we'll, we'll bring you into that in a second. But but actually, when you sort of stand back from where we are at as an industry, you know, the the early days of, of ClearBank, I remember talking to, to Nick about it. It's, you know, we've got gigantic towers built on terrible foundations was was always his his thinking and that that isn't safe you know and actually from a crisis perspective or from a even from a you know the the principles from clearbank's perspective in terms of the the ability to stop the system and see exactly where all of the money is like in terms of the problems that we've previously had in the financial system with liquidity then you know the the risk that is just built into something that is so fundamental to to everybody's everyday life, not just financial services, but everything else. Like, that's crazy. That's just crazy. I, it, it is crazy and in, increasingly so in relation to what's the thing that, that, other than not having to worry about it and the efficiency and friction and cost, all those things, is actually the operational resiliency. And being able to sleep well at night, indeed, you could take the PRA of Bank of England in relation to where would you like your payment flow in, in relation to which tech stack and how resilient is it in relation to it? And I, I know where I would be if I was Sam Woods, for example, at the PRA, uh, of how well you, you sleep well at night. But he's got to look at all, all of that infrastructure, as the Bank, Bank of England has as well. Um, but that's the opportunity in terms of the upgrade. And the other aspect, of course, there, the UK is investing in CHAPS and that mechanism of RGTS and trying to upgrade it and pay UK that looks after fast payments. They've got the new payment architecture, but it is still unfortunately so slow and the technology is still behind. And that's where we also a different opportunity of you can't change it fast enough. Everyone knows that all the large banks in relation to having to create their separate digital bank and then do play the fintech game on that side and then migrate across and, and get to the culture. We've seen it time and time again. Well, actually, if, if you think about that, we also have a number of 
top quality crypto clients as well that we actually bank uh, and we'll only play with the best. And the whole aspect in relation to central digital currency and actually the mechanism in relation to money uh, and, and driving the economy, we're also looking at some very exciting things in relation to, okay, well, the payment schemes will do this but and we'll upgrade, but they're still going to be way behind. How can we make a quantum step in relation to, for example, uh, central digital currencies that undoubtedly we think will come? It may be more wholesale than retail. But you can see all the credit card aspects in relation to, to crypto and, and uh, Bitcoin and accepting all of that. That will go so far. Um, but what about if there were bank-backed stable coins as well as central digital currencies in relation to taking all of that? And through the pandemic, we saw checks and cash go through the floor as everyone tried to get onto the digital payment rails. And that was another massive boost for us. Um, look down the next five, 10 years, you know, are the existing payment infrastructures going to be able to change fast enough? I doubt it, which is why our InstaClear product, all those new things in relation to thinking up new generations. And ultimately, it's coming back to Eric's point, isn't it? In relation to we, we, the world being run on smartphones and the next generation, you just you just want to be able to do these things and not worry about it, them. It's weird though, isn't it? I mean, in that sense though, Charles, I mean, going back to Eric's point a second ago is like, the, look, this technology is, you know, the, the technology that we're talking about that the industry needs to move towards is it's new to financial services, but actually, you know, cloud-based event-driven architecture, like these things are, exist in the, the big wide world. So, you know, Eric, I, I guess it goes back to your point earlier on of like, every organization is just a group of people. Like, so this is this is not technology or regulation or anything that's slowing these things down. You know, it really is people in many instances that are the, the blockers either from a, a culture or even just their incentives in terms of what the changes that really need to be brought about when it comes to base level infrastructure for, for financial services. I, I think that it often can, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll add a couple of things. One, uh, absolutely love, uh, Charles, what, what you and the ClearBank team are, are, are doing, I think it's so necessary. And I, prior to starting Ramp, I, I, I had started a, another company that was sold to a, a bank in the U.S. called, called Capital One. And I'd gotten a you know, significant, uh, truly significant scale. And I, I think that one of the most jarring experiences in my career was uh, adjusting um, from a period of, of time where we would we would think through products, we would develop them, and we would launch them on weekly or bi-weekly cycles. And once we, you know, appeared at Capital One, uh, suddenly the timeline started to go from one week, two weeks to three months, four months, six months, which is for someone like me and, and, and other engineers feels almost like a, we're, we're in chains. We, we, we can't build things. And, and, and there really was two issues. And I, I think that, that, that one side of it I'll say very much came to, to, to the infrastructure and, and the way that these systems were built. Um, and I think for me, it makes me quite uh, bullish and, and encouraged on, on what you're building. To be more specific, you know, as, as a regulated bank entity, there was lots of practices, um, many in place for, for extremely good reasons, you know, that basically dictated that if you wanted to ship something new that um, a user of Capital One could interact with, uh, I needed to go through lots of reviews, um, oversight from from lots of different folks, and in the context of something that could change someone's interest rate, great, awesome. We should definitely be very careful uh, with it um, and, and do right. But in the context of changing the color of a button uh, on a website, 
Probably not. We should, we should be able to, to make changes. And yet these infrastructures were tied together so tightly um, through poor architectural design. And in many ways, uh, modern platforms like a ClearBank um, in the UK, a, a Marketo or Stripe in the US um, are incredible at allowing developers to really um, create separation of, of, of duties on a technical level uh, and then help work through the issue that became very nested for us, at least in my group at Capital One, which was the people overlaid associated with it. You could actually give that and say, look, for these types of decisions and, and guardrails, here's how we're going to do this. Um, for these other ones, here's the, the, the oversight, but you could actually more cleanly figure out where do you need that personnel overlay? Where is this a technology overlay? And, and how do you work through that? And ultimately, get back to what people here intended to do, which is ship great software, um, you know, deliver products that really help customers. So I, I think it's, I think it's great. And I think it's amazing to see, I mean, both these first two stories, I mean, from a, from a top down perspective, Eric, with you, with, you know, really getting to grips with that, that customer problem from a, a bottom up perspective, Charles, with everything that you guys have done with the, the underlying fabric from a technology perspective, it just shows it's like, it's not the, it's not the ideas, it's the execution. And actually, can you continue to execute at that scale, that speed that you need to, to, to continue to evolve and meet those problems? But we could talk about this for weeks. We're going to have to move on, I'm afraid. But uh, congratulations, Charles. Congratulations, Eric. We're going to have to take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. We'll be back with you very shortly. Did you know 40% of Australian fintechs are leaders on the global stage? Whether it's simplifying global banking, buy now, pay later, or smart tech for insurance providers, many brilliant ideas developed in Australia are winning in foreign markets. Isn't it time you got involved? Learn how Australian fintechs can power your business today. Visit shinewithaustralia.gov.au forward slash fintech. Here at 11FS, we're still working hard to build the next generation of financial services, and our team is growing quickly. So we're looking for a bunch of new 11s to join us. If you or somebody you know are up for a challenge and fancy working for one of Flex's most flexible companies, come check out our open roles. We have roles in growth, product, sales, talent, and more. You'll find all the details at 11fs.com forward slash careers. That's 11fs.com forward slash careers. All right, welcome back to the show, everybody. Let's get going with part two. Uh, I was just saying in the break that, man, this is a busy week. Story covered over in CNBC, flurry of really excited times over social media and everything that's happening with this one. Apple buys UK fintech startup credit kudos. Uh, Apple has acquired British fintech startup credit kudos, according to various media reports. The deal was finalized earlier this week, according to CNBC, with their source preferring to remain anonymous. Ooh, spooky. The news was first reported by crypto-focused media outlet The Block, citing three different sources familiar to the matter. The deal values credit kudos at around $150 million, the block has reported Credit Kudos develops software that uses consumers' banking data to make more informed credit checks on loan applications. It's a challenger to the big credit reporting agencies, which include Equifax, Experian, and TransUnion. Uh, I mean, Deepa, this is amazing, isn't it? Really? I mean, to, if this is true and Apple have really started pushing so, so dramatically into this side, I mean, everybody's been scared of the big bad wolf and, you know, Apple coming into the banking space for for a while. So, you know, if this is their real first foray, particularly in the UK market, a well done, Freddie, like dude's been 
absolutely hustling for you know six years in, and we've had him on the podcast a number of times before but if this is the the outcome of all of that hard work like well played to him um but equally this is very exciting for the competitive landscape in the uk hey absolutely so i think it's uh it doesn't come as a huge surprise that Apple are obviously looking to deepen their offering in the FS space. But as you say, this is a huge one. Um, we've obviously seen a huge amount of growth in open banking over the last few years. Um, and I think the enabling factor this is going to bring Apple is absolutely enormous. What I'm really interested in, though, is how this will be used. So I think there's absolute kind of various uh, set of options on the table. I think it could be potentially white labeled, it could be embedded to kind of extend the capabilities of the Apple Card. And I think where they go and the direction they choose to take will be quite telling. So obviously Google abandoned their plans to offer bank accounts. I think it was last year saying they were looking to kind of focus on being the enabler as opposed to being the kind of provider. So I think maybe in the next few months we'll kind of see the direction that apple's willing to take and whether it's going to follow google's strategy or whether it's going to kind of be at odds with that i mean what big technology companies say and what they do are, are often quite dramatically different are they in that sense but uh, uh and actually i mean uh, apple are not famous for following google strategy in many senses of that are they they're much more of a sort of a, a walled garden when it comes to the ecosystems that they create and i imagine financial services is not going to be any different to that to be fair but i mean charles eric what do you what do you think maybe starting with you charles is is this sort of big tech straying into financial services just a kind of an inevitability in this sense i think it's a really interesting question because actually when we uh started building the sort of bank in a box aspect in relation to Microsoft Azure. Uh, and we got pretty close to Redmond and the senior guys there and they had not seen what we were doing before building that within Azure. And maybe we were dreaming at the time anyway, but um, would Microsoft buy ClearBank, for example, of, of liking the IA and, and just taking it uh, in relation to... Um, uh, and it was it was very interesting in analysing that. And also I come from the investment banking side and m and and it obviously became very apparent some of the conversations that we were having, it's the last thing they wanted to do is actually get involved becoming a bank and being regulated as a bank anywhere as a, a, a around the world. And therefore, Microsoft buying a bank, absolutely not. Uh, you know, we were told it would never happen. And I stand corrected if any of your readers or viewers are going to tell me otherwise in relation to it. It is a massive step. And a number of people say to me, Charles, you know, why do you get the banking license? Why not be an EMI or the rest? You know, it's it, the burden, the governance, all that it comes with is very serious uh, and, and cost. And it's enough being US regulated, let alone also being a bank and then regulated. So I, th I think, I don't know, it's a complete poison pill, but that's why embedded finance and the rest, allowing them to do all of these things without crossing the line to become one, I still think is is highly relevant. But they want they want to dominate. So they've got to have all the banking services. They've got to have all that, that there to, uh, to do it. It's whether they will actually cross the line in that they can't they can't operate anymore without without doing so and, and dominating the world. And obviously Facebook in relation to their own digital currency and Libra and all of those tight attempts, which will always, in my mind, will get blocked by the central banks. If the central banks of the world can't see the, the, the flows through their own pipes, then there's always going to be resistance. And, and that challenge will come back, I'm sure, one day in a different way. But I, th I think it's too soon. So I, I, you can see it, but then my regulatory and compliance and all the rest, I think the prize has really got to be sufficient rather than just partner or use embedded uh, finance to actually deliver what they need and partner. 
Well, I was just going to say, obviously, Apple Pay got into payments without really doing payments. They were able to clip tickets. They were able to do amazing things. Is the distribution of credit more important than the people that provide the credit in the first place? So actually, if you can really control where the problem is and be at the point, you know, look at look at many successful companies. You don't have to do all of the things yourself. You just have to own control, right? So, I mean, Eric, what, what do you think? Do you think this is Apple sort of being that tap for the industry? I find this super fascinating. In a number of ways. First, I, I think as you're you're getting at in, in the matter of payments, you know, not only has Apple Pay grown, but um, and I, I think about the upcoming release that Apple Apple Pay is doing with Stripe to effectively enable anyone's smartphone to receive credit card payments. There's a sense of identity. You know, there's sign in with Apple. You know, there's you know, well, they're they're committed to privacy. There is a lot of information. That is inherent um, on both who's the seller, who's the buyer in a transaction. And fundamentally, when you think about the, the movement of funds, you know, part of it is the movement, but part of it is to the extent there is credit involved for either the originator, and perhaps it's Apple with their partnership with Marcus, you know, or, or, or perhaps it's uh, maybe a signifier. They may be moving into allowing more people you know, to be moving payments with credit on the other end. And, and certainly the data that, that Credit Kudos has around identity, credit worthiness, um, and being able to, to market make to facilitate, you know, the exchange of that information for parties on both ends, it creates the possibility from a technical sense or for anyone building on that platform uh, to offer, whether it's, it's one, assessing the risk of, of debit or debit-like transactions, which, which carry their own, their own risk and, and, and fraud and loss um, potential and, and, and mitigate that, potentially enabling others to get into credit, and I think it's very interesting from the perspective of, of Apple as a platform and the enabler of others on its marketplace. I mean, I, I, I think what I find most fascinating about this is, is less of, is this Apple becoming you know, a bank? They can just access credit bureau data. They don't need to buy a company to do this. But to, to have that in-house and to embed that into the platform, uh, I think is really interesting. And it makes sense for, for me. I mean, Apple is, is very you know, uh, oriented towards consumers, con- consumer uh you know, credit bureau data is very rich. It's fantastic. And I think that in a, a future where Apple is trying to uh, convince more people to build on top of its platforms, you know, the, the buy it of a company like Credit Clutus uh, makes a lot of sense. And so curious to see what's what's revealed, what's confirmed, if anything, on any horizon. But strategically, I, I think this is quite compelling for, for what Apple's payment platform and, and marketplace and ability for people to build on top of it, what it could become. Mm. I mean, one thing's for certain, Apple are reasonably secretive about everything. So uh, we will reach out to Freddie and see if he'll come and talk to us. But I reckon it's going to have to wait until a big announcement that's that's going to happen there. And and for anybody who, uh, you know, hasn't sort of seen this story and, and people getting all excited on social media, there's wild speculation, everything from, you know, uh, uh, sort of a, a small inroad into it to I saw Simon Vanskalina, who's ex-founder of Monzo, and a bunch of other smart things that he's done in the past, uh, claiming he reckons this will be Apple's play to cut Visa and MasterCard out of the Apple Pay system, um, which is super interesting and you know could potentially have legs there as a as an option for them to to look at but probably a long way to go to to find out if uh, if that one comes true i was just going to pick up on that data point because i think that's really interesting and i think obviously you know there's a huge amount of you know we talk about intelligent services quite a lot and and the core of that is data right and so if you think about this you've got credit kudos which sit on a huge amount of data you've got all of the data that apple has to offer and if you put those together that's that's an incredibly 
slightly scary, but really powerful product. And I don't think we've seen anything like that in the industry yet. All right. Well, no doubt we will be talking like this is not going to be the last time we talk about Apple or Google or Amazon coming into financial services. So we will cover this as more detail comes along from Apple to Egypt. So Egypt State Bank setting up a $85 million fintech innovation fund. This was covered at Reuters and a bunch of other different places. So Egypt's three biggest state owned banks are setting up an $85 million financial technology fund that aims to accelerate innovation in the sector. The fund, called Include by Global Ventures, also hopes to attract additional participation from regional and international investors. Legislative and regulatory changes in in Egypt over the last two years have paved the way for a surge of fintech investments and a change in the way that the country's largely unbanked citizens actually do business. Uh, Industry players say that there's a lot of opportunity and a a number of people that I bump into have said Egypt is a massive growth area for, for many for exactly that reason the the unbanked the size of the unbanked population uh, is absolutely huge um to hear a little bit more about this one we managed to get to talk to the people who are responsible for that from the include global ventures fund we managed to speak to eslam dalwesh let's hear from him now hi my name is eslam dalwesh and i'm thrilled to talk to you today about an ambitious new project called include by global ventures Include is born out of a desire and determination to build a digital and financially inclusive economy in Egypt and beyond through fintech innovation. Today, Egypt is home to more than 100 million people, 56% of which are financially underserved. And as you all know, fintech plays a pivotal role in democratizing access to financial services, everything from saving, lending, spending, and all the way to investing. And the objective here is to make these services more relevant and affordable to all. Include is more than just a fund. We call it an investment platform that is founder-centric in its design. Include focuses on providing ambitious founders with the tools they need to succeed to be able to compete not only locally, but regionally and globally as well. At Include, we are looking for driven, determined and daring entrepreneurs who believe in the mission of building a better and a financially inclusive tomorrow. We focus our investments on early and growth stage fintech and fintech enabled companies that are currently based in Egypt, but we also invest in companies that are based in the Middle East and Africa region who are looking to expand their operations into the Egyptian market. It's super interesting, isn't it? I mean, uh, he mentioned the word underserved there. I mean, we we always sort of say deeper, underserved, overcharged, overwhelmed, like, and actually that 56% is probably a lot higher than that when it comes to the, the, the level of service that's really sort of being offered into the market. I mean, it's an amazing thing that you've got sort of an organization essentially trying to to jumpstart innovation in a region in that in that sense. But this is pretty cool, right? Yeah, this is awesome. So it feels like Egypt's kind of fast following the African market, which we've obviously seen huge kind of progress with. And it does feel like there's a huge amount of potential there with the kind of underbanked segment, as you say. But also then on top of that, you've got the underserved, which is, you know, a huge percentage more than that. I think there's a huge amount of technology here that are kind of primed and ready to to kind of accomplish that leapfrog and make some, some real headway. And I was doing some reading on kind of examples of this. And so one example I think was um, in Brazil with the kind of, I think it was like a COVID welfare fund. 
they banked it was a huge percentage of people that were banked in a, in a few months which if you think about that in a you know in a sense of progress that's massive and and that fund i think was distributed by kaisha bank but i think great you can see some absolutely huge strides when there's just a bit of a concerted effort and you know some some money and some technology and some great minds coming together. Yeah, very interesting, isn't it? And, and I completely agree with you. As, as you say, the the amazing surge of interest and 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 success that we've sort of seen within with Africa is, you know, anywhere there is a significant geo that actually is uh, opportunity sort of really being left on the table by those big organizations, then, you know, fintech will come, won't it, in terms of uh, that. Uh, Charles, Eric, you, you guys uh, you guys think in Egypt next on the agenda? Charles, like uh, clear, clearing banks there? Is a- oh, it's funny, actually, because I'm a big fan. And in fact, uh, going back a few years, Israel and their fintech, they've got a fantastic fintech community. And in fact, the head of um, banking supervision came over with the Bank of England. And I remember being the Bank of England asked me to uh, spend some time with the representative. And, and uh, she was absolutely, she used the common word we've all been using of awesome in relation to energy and passion of getting fintech up, but was looking at the way that we actually bring through new banks in the UK, which obviously Clearbank was, and uh, we went through with Starling and Monzo at the same time through that process. And in fact, we bank a lot of the new banks in terms of the core banking engine and, and ClearBank as a back end in relation to all the new banks coming through uh, the UK. But anyway, uh, that energy in, in fueling essentially fintech to actually get going and igniting the economy and looking at other jurisdictions where they're doing that. Um, and Africa has been fantastic, as you said. I know some of the entrepreneurs that have, have, have had some fantastic propositions driven off tech, but essentially the size. Why not Egypt? Bring it on. Fantastic of, of what they're doing, particularly when there's such a large unbanked, right? In, in all of our mission statements, in changing, we have the NHS credit union on our, we serve them the Scottish Police Force Credit Union, the um, Armed Forces Credit Union. And, and we've changed those individuals' lives through COVID of when they can pay their uh, Tesco supermarket bill or filling up with, with, uh, with petrol. And it's very basic, simple stuff. But anyway, a, a small amount of money will make a big difference, I suspect, to those uh, those unbanked. So fantastic initiative. And you know, what other countries around the world should we be doing it? Um, it's not on the clear bank hit list right now, but um, uh, because obviously we want to get to, to real bandwidth, but uh, in helping those communities and helping fintech thrive, making a difference, I'm a... Obviously, a massive fan, as I'm sure we all are. Yeah. What, what do you think, Eric? How do you see this one developing? It's um, it's an interesting model, isn't it? To organisations getting together to to then create that catalyst. Uh, how, how do you see this one? You know, I, I think efforts like this are, are, are great. I mean, um, you know, the, the population of Egypt is is tremendous, and I think through through history, I mean, it, there's so much potential there. I mean, my, my co-founder grew up not too far away in, in Beirut, Lebanon. There's amazing people there. And I, I think when you look at uh, whether it's Egypt, um, the Middle East regions nearby, incredibly talented people. And I think that for many years, there's been a, a diaspora where, you know, the, the genuine feeling is to find, you know, a truly extraordinary su- success. Um, you, know, you need to be traveling uh, abroad or leaving. Um, and, and that's a shame. You know, well, well, the U.S. certainly benefited from that. And, you know, we, you know, seek to work with, uh, anyone of, of high potential from anywhere uh, uh, across the world, you know, truly having support 
in local markets for people who are seeking to innovate. You know, when you think about a, a venture fund, you know, it's it's to 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 start and see businesses before they've proven out the full economics, but 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 really it's to you know, invest in innovation and, and potential. And I think there's a lot of structural reasons, but you know, making investments that can help regions tap into the immense potential um, and bring that out. I think any initiative like that is is is, is great, and I'm, I'll be rooting for for its success. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? When in different regions you see the, you know, the all of the ingredients, but the different catalysts often sort of kick off the the the, the bonfire when it comes to the the change that's really sort of required. In this sense, it's it's capital. There's no shortage of problems. There's no shortage of opportunity, but the capital's the the sort of limiting factor in that sense. Regulation we've seen in many geos as be the the sort of spark that gets everything going. But we'll definitely keep watching this one, and uh, we'll come back as we see it more develop. All right, uh, the oh God, oh man, there was just so many stuff happening this week. There's so many stories we didn't get to cover, so we're going to quickly try and summarize a couple of these uh, and see where we get to, just to make sure that everybody gets a shout out in terms of what we're going. Deeper, I think you're getting us going, so let's hear what the first one is. Sure. So the CEO of Starling Bank, Anne Bowden, said that as banking continued to shift online, a post office or a shared branch network would deliver face-to-face services to those who wanted it. Bowden also said that Starling had customers in their 90s who were never off their mobile phones. She told Southampton Southern Daily Echo, don't assume that it's a certain demographic, older people that want the branches or can't use digital. We have customers in their 90s that live their lives on their mobile. This is their link to the NHS. This is the link to their family. So anecdotally, my grandma WhatsApps more than anyone I know, so I can't really disagree here. I do think it's an important point to make, though. Digital banks are no longer an exclusive club for the 20-somethings living in East London, and that's a real testament to what fintech has done. The branch culture will become the exceptions flow, and I think it's wise to plan around that. Although I don't think anyone particularly looked forward to visiting the bank, so provided that the services exist, for the majority of people doing banking on your sofa and your slippers, I think sounds far more appealing and equally a win for financial services. Okay, the next story that we had was one that was covered over on Finextra, which is EPI abandons plans for Visa and MasterCard rival as member banks quit. The European Payments Initiative has given up on its effort to build a rival to MasterCard and Visa in Europe after more than half of its members left. Initially backed by 31 major Eurozone banks, as well as acquirers, Worldline and Nets, the EPI set itself a goal of building a unified pan-European payment system. The plan was to offer a for consumers and merchants across Europe and digital wallets, uh, as well as peer-to-peer payment systems. Backed by the European Central Bank, the scheme was set to enter its operational phase this year, but last November financing had become a concern. Now 20 banks have pulled out, including nearly all Spanish members, as well as Germany and Commons Bank and DZ Bank. The project is now expected to ditch plans for a card scheme and will instead focus on the digital wallet. I mean, this seems really interesting, doesn't it? It has lots of uh, parallels to the uh, the sort of big football league that was going to be created where you know one by one people sort of backed out and ran away from that I mean it's going to be fascinating how many people come out really quite aggressive against Visa and MasterCard in this sense and now have to really tend to building back some of those relationships but uh, anyway over to you deeper for the next one okay so NatWest is due to launch a carbon tracking app for SMEs in partnership with FinTech Kogo and this is after research revealed that nine out of ten firms are unaware of their business's total carbon emissions 
SMEs will be able to use the app to review their transactions and estimated carbon footprint, see their estimated emissions over time, and compare them month on month. The app also suggests ways that SMEs may be able to reduce carbon emissions and learn more about the support available to help them go greener. NatWest claims that with the right support, the UK's 6 million SMEs can contribute up to 50% of the UK's net zero decarbonation goals by 2030, worth an estimated £160 billion in revenue. So I love this story. It's all about financial services using the data and technology at hand to empower SMEs to make better decisions. From our work, we know how important ESG is, and it's something really close to consumers' hearts. So a feature like this, which really surfaces information and provides helpful advice, is great. I really think we're going to see a carbon footprint data point being a much more commonly shared point, and I think it's a two-way street. Not only are we expecting organisations to have ESG at the heart of their strategies, but also to help consumers be more green in their everyday. Okay, on that note, let's bring everybody back for the list of this last story. It's a super interesting one. It was covered in a various different places. Bristol 24-7 was one of them, a, a nice local publication there. Bristol Pound notes to be transformed into a giant shoal of fish. So schools across Bristol are being invited to participate in a citywide art project exploring the relationship between money and the environment by transforming decommissioned Bristol Pound notes into a shoal of more than 10,000 fish. The British Pound was a local currency launch 10 years ago by the non-profit or community interest company to encourage residents to spend their money on local and independent businesses. However, it was withdrawn from circulation in 2020 after being hit by the rise of cashless payments. The fish installation is the brainchild of artist Mary Collett, uh, originally commissioned to design the £10 note and the Bristol Pound itself. Uh, participating schools will be encouraged to explore the relationship between our economic system and the environment. And what lessons can we learn from that? I mean, it's just super interesting, isn't it, to get to a point where, you know, these things are not just you know, fold away when you find that old fiver deeper and be like, oh man, I can't use this anymore. But they're actually turning it into something that actually has much more of a an environmental statement. What do, what do you think to this? Is this is this just, uh, you know, an artist trying to figure out what they do with all those things that they made? Or uh, is there something different to this? I firstly, I love how it's, uh, this has really tickled Eric, <laughs> clearly. It's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, it's a really heartwarming story, and I think you know we kind of need this at the moment. So, so I love I love the story. I want to kind of touch on the on the idea of the the local currency as well because I think it's you know it's a great idea. I love the idea of supporting local businesses. It was something we saw quite a lot over the last few years. I, I guess I'm an economist by degree, and and whilst I find that idea interesting. It's it's one that makes me a little bit nervous just because in terms of how it functions and and I I don't really kind of see how they have the funding or the technology to kind of actually make it work um, long term, which makes me sound like a very negative kind of uh, you know rain on their parade. But what was really interesting is is I think Bristol had uh, credit union kind of support them, so they had um, the funds behind them and they were able to kind of sort of digitize the scheme a little bit. So, and, you know, to, to reiterate, I love the cause. I love the idea. I just think there, there perhaps are easier ways to go about it. And, you know, you can maybe kind of having to, instead of building on top of uh, infrastructure. But I love the story to not sound totally negative. It's a nice idea. I mean, like you say, the, the hyper-localization of currency 
probably sounds quite risky, doesn't it? In that sense, in terms of just the, you know, the, the problems that can kind of bump into that. But I do like the idea, though, of a, of a currency being something that so dramatically sort of represents, uh, you know, either a community or everything that goes with that. So the, the 11FS social media guys went out and asked people, who do you think, if you're going to create a banknote right now, and I'll come to you guys and ask for uh, who you would put on your, your banknote to represent it. But if it was going to be a, a new US banknote, a U, UK banknote, who would you want on it? Some interesting suggestions actually from uh, people out there in social media land. So we had Sir David Attenborough for a UK one. I think everybody could get behind that one, couldn't we? If we've got Charles Darwin on there, Sir David Attenborough has got to be up there as well. Um, some there was lots of people asking for like their pet, which because everybody loves their own pet, don't they, to a certain degree? Uh, a few people voting for Dolly Parton because she's not, she can't get angry at Dolly Parton, really, can you? Um, Walt Disney was on there. Mm, some questionable things, I guess, in that sense. Uh, Karl Marx came up a few times. I, I, do you know what? I'm surprised there wasn't just like Angelina Jolie or some random celebrities. But I mean, deep, deeper, if you had to put, if you had to pick somebody to go on uh, a currency right now, we suddenly start doing a, a £3 note. Who's going on your £3 note? I'm, I'm going to have to vote. I, I love the idea of David Attenborough. I think that's a great, like you can, you know, there's no, there's no counter argument there. It feels like a very safe, but fair choice. Yeah. Nobody would complain with that one, would they? They definitely went. Charles, what, what do you reckon? Who would you vote for to? Yeah, sorry. I, I, the great suggestions. I'm a massive fan of environment and, uh, you know, we're members of bankers for net zero and, and all of that and carbon neutral and whatever. I think it's absolutely brilliant idea. And I had Sir David Attenborough, right, to the, to the extent of the fish theme, the animals, sustainability, it actually works. You're going to be there. Um, I was thinking, uh, I mean, going back to banknotes, uh, I remember, actually, I've got some original pound notes uh, that I, I, I won in an auction of 001, I think it's seven of the first banknote. Uh, so it can't, you know, Florence Nightingales and all of that and former governors of the Bank of England. No, it can't be a banker that goes on this. So I was very much in the uh, sustainability. The, the other one um, I think of, I don't know, I, I do hope Ukraine doesn't go on. And it, it's got to have the local theme, not a global theme. But um, uh, we're all becoming fans of the nightly speeches of uh, our president of Ukraine in relation to asking for help. Uh, his leadership has been absolutely awesome in terms of just what he's doing in Ukraine and how it's all going to end up. The other one uh, from COVID and everything and, and clapping on Thursday nights for the NHS, coming back uh, and one of the growth sectors, in fact, in fintech and insurance and vets is pets. So the loneliness and COVID, there's been massive growth in relation to dogs and cats and pets and what the love they've given back. So I also get the picture in terms of the, the dog or cat or horse or whatever it is. Um, and that the UK, you know, not only shopkeepers, but also love their pets. Do love a pet, don't uh, we? And a lot of people, I've looked through the bank, um, if it's not their children or a delivery doorbell, it's the cat or the dog that's actually got on the video screen that everyone's got at home. So... That would be the other one for me in relation to uh, to that. So sorry, long answer, David. We let Eric get his his views. You got you got a few choices, haven't you? Let's get Eric. What do you reckon? What who would you put on a who would you put on a new uh, a new note over in the US? You know, we've got a, a lot of denominations to fill out, so it's 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 good to have more. I, I I'll, I'll I'll go a different different way. Keep it fun. Um, let's go with Elon Musk. He's uh, I, I think a hundred years from now, people look back 
he's one person who I feel pretty strongly people are going to remember and, and write about. So, so let's go for it. I, I like the idea of putting someone who, who's out building, making things happen. I think that the notion of, of uh, you know, you two, a, a living person can, can, can change the world, can, can change the way that money flows and, and works as a powerful one. And uh, look, you probably have a lot of fun with it on Twitter, and I'd love to watch that too. So that'd be my pick. <laughs> I mean, with with Elon, like, uh, I mean, uh, he's so into Dogecoin anyway, right? So we've got to take the Shiba yeah. off the uh, Dogecoin to, <laughs> to put Elon on that one to a certain degree. <laughs> one thing's for certain, if we do do this and we do like open it up, Please don't open it up to the vote to the public. Like, if one thing is true, like we're going to end up with like a Kardashian or Harry Potter or something crazy in that sense, aren't we? So, uh, <laughs> if we do do this, I hope somebody far more sensible makes that decision. And on that note, we're going to have to leave you. So, sadly, that's the end of the show, but it does wrap up. I think quite an entertaining one. Uh, deeper, we had a lot of fun today, right? I think so. I want to change my my choice from the previous question. I think Dumbledore would be the best. Uh, Dumbledore, you know, yeah. Full of wisdom. Yeah. feel like we all could use it these days. <laughs> definitely, definitely. Well, if you could get it like the Harry Potter things where the eyes follow you around the room type vibe as well. Like, uh, I feel like we're, we're straying into a different territory and a different technology. But uh, anyway, thank you so much for everybody for joining us today. Deeper, where can people find out a little bit more about you? LinkedIn and elevenofest.com. Very good. Charles, where can people find a little bit more about you and ClearBank? So it's charles.mcmanus at clear.bank. Fantastic. Eric, where can people learn a little bit more about you and Ramp? Sure thing. So it's uh, Ramp is at uh, ramp.com, R-A-M-P.com. And uh, uh, you can follow me on Twitter. DMs are open. Happy to trade notes. Uh, my handle is just uh, eglyman. So E-G-L-Y-M-A-N. Very, very good. As for me, you can find me lurking on LinkedIn mostly these days. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you had fun. Like we had fun. Like I hope you had fun listening. So uh, if you do want to join the conversation, you can follow us on pretty much every social media at this stage, or you can email us on podcasts at 11fs.com. Thank you very much for listening, everybody. See you next week. Keeping up with all the noise and news from the world of financial services isn't easy. It's easy to get lost in buzzwords, jargon, and industry speak. So sometimes you just need a quick human rundown of the biggest stories. Well, you are in luck. Bite-sized is our very own weekly newsletter that takes the biggest news stories from financial services and tells you exactly what's happening, why it matters, and what comes next. Bite Size goes out every Friday at 11am, so you can enjoy it with a coffee as you wrap up your week. Stay up to speed with the fast-moving world of financial services and subscribe today at 11fs.com forward slash newsletters. That's 11fs.com forward slash newsletters.